0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. So first, what is coveting? It's pursuing something more than you pursue God in hopes that it can deliver something that only God can deliver. Everybody has a life's lie. Everybody has a life's lie. What's your life's lie? Here's your life's lie. It's the thing that you think if you get it, everything's gonna be fine now. That's your life's lie. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Finds, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Welcome to Today with Jeff Finds. My name's Aaron and in our message today, Pastor Jeff is talking about coveting. From his series called Ways to Freedom, we're stepping through some of the 10 Commandments. Join me now in Exodus chapter 20 as we hear the rest of the message from Pastor Jeff on coveting. Scotty Pippen, this is one of my favorite stories. There was a feature article in Sports Illustrated on the Trailblazers, Portland Trailblazers when he was in Portland. December 13th, 1999, there's an article called No Babes in the Woods. The article was about how poor Scottie Pippen was before he became a Chicago Bull, before he went to high school and played basketball. But by the time he was playing for Portland, he was making $14.7 million a year, $45 million in three years with endorsements that included $50 million. He owned a 74-foot yacht and a $100,000 Mercedes. Okay? So the reporter asked Scottie Pippen, what do you think about before the game? I want you to listen to these words. These are the words of Scottie Pippen. Before every game in Portland's Rose Garden, I only have eyes for one. I'll let my gaze drift over to the courtside seat occupied by Paul Allen. Co-founder of Microsoft and owner of both the Trailblazers and the Seattle Seahawks, a man with a personal net worth of $40 billion. I look at his geeky exterior and I wonder, how does he do it? Tell me how I can make a billion. I just want one of them. Tell me how I can make a billion dollars. Tell me how I can become a billionaire. Now, hold on a second. Dude, you got $95 million. But it's not about the money. It's not about the money, is it? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this. He says, pride, real pride, gets no pleasure out of having something. Pride only gets pleasure out of having more of it than the next person. You may think you're proud of being successful, intelligent, or good-looking, but when surrounded by those who are equal or better than you, you lose all pleasure in those things. It's the comparison that makes you proud. It's the comparison that you are above the rest. In other words, if you're a wealthy man and all of a sudden you find yourself in a circle where everybody's more wealthy than you are, guess what happens? You get depressed. If you're a good golfer and all of a sudden you get placed in a foursome on the weekend and all three are better than you, guess what? If that's your identity, you'll get depressed. If you think you're handsome and beautiful, but somehow you find yourself at a party and you know you're the ugliest one there, and you've attached yourself to how beautiful and wonderful you are, guess what? You're gonna get depressed. Because that thing is your God. The relationship between serving other gods and coveting, wanting more of a good thing for a bad reason, those two are inseparable. But you know what? Here's the sad thing. This is where God's arbitrary law comes in. These things that you're after, you're not after them, man. They're after you. You think if I could only get this, (laughs) hey, it's got you. It's ruining your life because you'll never get there. And you'll spend your whole life pursuing something that, even if you were by awesome chance to get it, you're gonna see how empty it really is. These are not your friends. These things are your enemies. And they're never gonna deliver what you hope they will. Now, I'm not saying they won't make you feel good at great. Heroin makes you feel good the first time, but eventually it's gonna kill you. Not that I would know, I've just read books. Stay with me, please. Psychologically, idols are the things that give you meaning and significance. You attach yourself to them in an illegitimate fashion, psychologically. Sociologically, idols are the things that give you credibility. The things that you think you have or that you try to possess that will then cause you to be valued and adored by the people that you respect. But there's also theological idolatry. And that's when... You feel accepted in the eyes of God because of how good you are or how much Bible you know or how many weekends a year that you offer in service for the poor. So first, what is coveting? It's pursuing something more than you pursue God in hopes that it can deliver something that only God can deliver. Everybody has a life's lie. Everybody has a life's lie. What's your life's lie? Here's your life's lie. It's the thing that you think if you get it, everything's going to be fine now. That's your life's lie. Everybody in the room has one. I do. You do. We do. In the human flesh, we fight against it. Second, okay, we we dealt with the first part. Second, how does coveting impact the individual and society? How does not coveting preserve the person and the culture? How does coveting cause death and disintegration? Now, some of you will remember the name Kurt Cobain. I'm getting a little older. and I'm sharing my age now. But there was a band in the day called Nirvana. Nirvana. This dude had everything. He was kind of like the modern day Gita Mopassant. And I'll talk about him just in a moment. You don't know who that is either. <laughs> wow. But He's really old. You know, when he died, I remember I was a youth pastor at the time. And one of my youth asked me, Why did he kill himself? He had everything. He was good looking, had all the money in the world. I mean, why did he kill himself? And then the guy said, I said, well, why do you think? And he said, well, I think so because he didn't have God. The problem with that is there's a lot of people who don't have God that don't kill themselves, right? Now, listen, this is where the crunch time comes, and you're doing well. I'm so proud of you so far. This is important. In ministry, you learn... That there are two situations in which people seem to want to kill themselves. Now, I don't want to, I don't I do not want to make suicide simplistic, but if I had to gather them into two categories, there are usually two situations in which people seem to want to kill themselves, other than just strict, strict mental illness, okay? We have our life's lie and we're pursuing it hard. And then one day we discover something clicks. I'm never going to get that. I'm not going to get that. It's somewhat similar to me going to a Continental Basketball League tryout and suddenly realizing that I've been a big fish in a very small pond. Now, at that point, I had to choose. Some people, when they get to the and they realize, I have no chance of ever getting this thing that I thought I had to have to live, and they can't live anymore. But the second group of people... Who seem to want to kill themselves is the people who get all the way there. They actually get it all that they, and it didn't deliver. Remember that quote I gave you a few years ago by Cynthia Heimel in The Village Voice? I got this from Dr. Tim Keller in his book. He, this is a great quote. He says, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. What does she mean? God says, okay, if you think that's what's going to make you happy, here you go. And let me stand back and watch you now. Now, here's the problem. This is where we haven't gone. Most of us in this room never get to that place where our hopes are utterly dashed. We get just enough of our dream that keeps us alive chasing it. Which means, as a result, most of us live lives of an illusion. We stay in that category. We've never really been to the point where we have seen all of a sudden that it cannot satisfy. So we're middle of the road people. Most of us in the room are middle of the road people, which means that most of us remain coveters, because we still believe if we can get there, we're going to have everything that we've ever wanted. We're going to be happy. Someone said, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. And that's a lot of us. Now, let me take you around third. Stay with me. You've done so well. Here's what coveting does. And it's why God says, don't do it, man. Don't do it. You're expecting something to give you that cannot deliver. When people don't get what it is they think that is going to change everything and they're going to be happy all of a sudden, you respond one of four ways. One of four ways. Number one, you blame the things, right? You say, you know, the reason I'm unhappy is because I need a better spouse. That's my problem. I need a better figure. I need a better career. I need a, a nose job. I need better friends. I need a better church. I need a better city. I need better kids. So if I can just get some new stuff and new people in my life, I can move on to new horizons. And I got to hurry because I've lost time. Have you ever met someone like this? It's the guy who leaves his wife just like that. It's the wife who leaves the husband and the kids just like that. They become driven and anxious, and they become totally afraid to commit to anything after that. Oh, I love it. I, I don't love it. But on the weekend... I see people come to church like this. You can tell who they are because they evenly distribute their weight in the chair. And they sit toward the back in case they need to be ready to move. Because as soon as they think, okay, this is not going to help me get my thing, I'm out of here. You with me? So I don't settle down anywhere for too long. Because I could be wrong and I've wasted more time. They're like Daniel Boone. As soon as you think this little piece of ground is not going to give you the nirvana that you thought it would, you move on. People like this discard people all the time because they use people as a means to their end. They step on people. They don't care who they step on. There's carnage everywhere around them because they believe the whole problem is things. They discard their friends, their jobs. Their geographical location, they pick up and move. If it's not city to city, it's church to church or community to community or friends to friends or club to club because they're convinced that they're not the common denominator in all their problems. So number one, you can blame things. If I can just change my things, man, then life will be good. The problem is you're the ultimate narcissist and you're leaving carnage wherever you go. Or two, you can blame yourself. You can blame yourself to an unhealthy degree. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's not good to look inside and see what's going on. The problem is, if you blame yourself, you start looking around at all the press releases and you start believing the good about everybody else. Now, let, me, let me explain this for a moment. Can I give you a newsflash for a moment? Other people do not want you to see their emptiness and struggles because they don't want your pity, they want your worship. So it's easy to look around and assume that everybody's life's going good except yours. But it's because people don't tell you what's really happening. You automatically assume that yours is the only life that isn't going well. So you think, I'm a loser. Or, There's something wrong with me. And so you really want to take an in-depth look. And suddenly you say to yourself, perhaps I'm even disturbed. Maybe I'm disturbed. Everyone else is getting what they want except for me. So you start going to counseling. Counseling's not a bad thing. It's good to take a good look at who you are. However, it can also be a red herring. It could be that the real reason you're unhappy is deeper than mere psychology. Again, let's go back to something Tim Keller talks about in his reading of Ernest Becker. Ernest Becker says, all the psychoanalysis in the world does not allow a person to find out who he is, why he's on earth, why he has to die, and how he can make life a triumph. And it is when psychology pretends to do this, when it pretends to offer a full explanation of human happiness, that it becomes a fraud and creates an impasse from which you cannot escape. What does he mean? Becker's not a Christian. What's he saying? Now, he did not say that a psychologist cannot tell you these things. He said the science of psychology cannot tell you these things. What does he mean? Science is not built to tell you what ought to be. As a matter of right and wrong. Science doesn't deal with right and wrong. And it could be the reason you're unhappy is that you don't know why you're here. You don't know for what or for whom you were built. So you have no ultimate point of reference. You can't deal with guilt and regret or death because you have no idea of origin, meaning, morality, destiny. No science can answer those questions. A psychologist can look at you and say, you shouldn't feel guilty and you shouldn't feel bad because you're not worthless. Well, you can say that, but as soon as they say, how do you know, and you start giving them proof, you've moved away from science and psychology into religion. Your real problem is that you've not answered the bigger questions of your life, that you are coveting and pursuing things that are never going to give you what they think, what you think they're going to give you. So one, stay with me. You can lie, you can blame things, you can blame yourself to an unhealthy degree. If you blame things, you're going to climb over people. You're going to hurt everybody across the path. You've, what's, the, what's the old song? "Climb every mountain, ford every stream." You're going to climb every person and ford every person until you find your dream. Or you can blame yourself and say, I'm inadequate, I'm disturbed, everybody else is doing well, but I'm a loser. Or third, you can blame the universe. People do this all the time. I'm sick and tired of living in this world. It stinks, man. I've tried to get in the right circles. I'm rejected. I tried to get the right job. I tried to make enough money. I tried to live in the right community. Things don't work out for me. This universe stinks. I'm going to trust nothing now. I'm going to give myself to nothing. I'm going to destroy all of my dreams. I'll never be disappointed again. That's like saying, because because I don't like the smell, I'm going to cut off my nose. Because I did not like getting my heart broken, I'm going to be stone cold. And what they end up doing, people who blame it all on the universe, they end up killing their own humanity. And the part of them that's able to aspire to noble things, great things, high things becomes cynic. Have you ever met a cynical person? They're like porcupines, man. Nobody wants to be around them. You can blame things. You can blame yourself. You can blame the universe. Or you can blame your relationship with God. You can blame things. You can blame yourself. You can blame the universe. Or you can blame your relationship with God. You can look at your life and say, It's been so long since I've been really happy. Matter of fact, I've never been that happy. I've tried every avenue. You've gotten just enough of your dream and goal to keep your appetite wet. You keep pursuing, but it's just not working. And you can be honest with yourself and say, you know what? Maybe it's not things. Maybe it's not the universe. Maybe it's not me. Maybe it's just the reality that there is this God who has made me for relationship, and I have not yet plumbed the depths of God. I've not even scratched the surface. I mentioned de Maupassant a few minutes ago. He was a talented man. He was a writer of short stories. Within 10 years, he rose from obscurity to fame. He had a yacht in the Mediterranean, a large house on the Norman coast, a luxurious flat in Paris. One author described Maupassant, you know, he's kind of like the Brad Pitt of his day in his looks, but also he was like the Bill Gates. He was brilliant. It was written about him. Critics praised him. Men admired him and women worshiped him. That's kind of the things they say about Dane Johnson. And yet at the height of his fame and wealth, he went insane. On New Year's Day, 1892, he tried to cut his own throat with a knife. He was taken to the hospital into a private asylum on the Riviera. After 18 months of physical debilitation and gibbering insanity, he died. He was 42 years old. He had already written his own epitaph. He said, I've coveted everything and taken pleasure in nothing. But most of you will never get to the point where you realize that everything you've been looking for, searching for, when you find it, you're still empty. Because you cannot fill an eternal void by temporary means. Now stay with me, this is the end. C.S. Lewis says that creatures are born with desires that unless there is a fulfillment to that desire, the desire doesn't exist. A baby wants food because food exists. A duckling wants to swim because water exists. We want sex because sex exists. And then he says in that famous statement, if I find in myself desires that no experience in this world can satisfy, the only probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Now listen, if you try to get something out of stuff, whatever it is, you're going to be so frustrated and depressed and filled with anxiety. And the reason is, is because God loves you and does not want you to settle for that. Now, here's the problem. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, what's the answer? Okay, I got it. That when we pursue the things uh, that will never fulfill us, that it causes society to disintegrate because we're power, money hungry. It causes my soul to disintegrate because I it's not going to fill me up the way that it's meant to fill me, and there's this God. But to tell you the truth, Pastor Jeff, I've been coming to church for years. Now, listen, this is careful. I've been coming to church for years, and I've heard all you pastors say something like that. You say to us, you got to learn to commune with God. Pastor Jeff, I have no idea what you're talking about. Pastors will say, you got to find your deep inner needs and contentment in God. Okay, thanks, Pastor Jeff. How? You say, the only way you're going to stop coveting is to feel the presence of God and to get everything you're looking for out of him. That's great. How? (laughs) Pastor Jeff says, I need to meet with God every day and God will reveal himself to me. Well, that's not my experience, Pastor Jeff. I tried to meet with him. I don't feel nothing. Okay. I've always wanted to say this and never been able to. 30 years of ministry. This is what it's told me. I can't help you. Until you have a hunger for God. But I can't give that to you either. Which has led me to believe this. Every every conversion story. There's a guy that was an atheist not too long ago that serves and I think operates our men's ministry at Etiwanda Gardens. Amazing story. God's going to have to break you. See, I can't help you until something inside you wants with all your heart and soul and mind to pursue God. But you'll never do that by me telling you to. You'll only do it when your life falls apart and you have nowhere else to turn. So I struggle. What do I pray for the people God has called me to? Do I pray that all of their lives just are turned upside down? See, even the Apostle Paul had to have a road to Damascus experience. And so will you at some point in your life. Otherwise, you're going to live between pursuit and gain. And you're just going to be frustrated and empty all your life. And the only way that's going to change is if something happens in you to make you realize there is an imperishable bliss. That all the good things you experience in your life The problem with them is that you know they're going to end. That's why I have a hard time enjoying vacation. Think about it. Think about it. You go to vacation. Three days in, you finally settle down. And the next thought is, I leave in four days. (laughs) Come on. Come on. You, You spend all this time looking forward to it. By the time you stop. I'm having a good time. You realize, i got to go in four days. (laughs) Until you know that there's an eternal bliss that does not end, that it's found in your relationship with God, it doesn't matter what I say. So here's the only answer I can give you to not coveting so as not to cause disintegration in your soul and the people around you. You've got to beg Jesus to give you a passion for God. You have to ask him and then you have to stand back and trust that the events of your life in the coming days are so that you will stop putting your trust in things that can never deliver. That's, that's it. I can tell you to pursue God and get a devotional book and go to Rooted and all those are good things. Yeah, they're all good things and you should do them. But you'll quit until there's something deep inside that happens where you want to know God. That's why Jesus narrowed all the commandments down to one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He narrowed them all down to one. Because if you're doing that, all these other nine will not happen. They're a byproduct of you loving and seeking and searching God and that's only the 10th one. My goodness, what's going to happen next week? (laughs) Father, thank you for uh, the power of your word. Thank you for your goodness and for the way that you speak through our lives. I pray a prayer for my brothers and sisters right now. I pray that there would be a moving of your spirit in this room. I pray that there would be a calling out, God, please give me a passion. Give me faith. Give me something. Do something in my heart that would cause me to want to know you more than I want to know anything else, to seek you more than I seek anything else, to know that all these beautiful things that I experience, it's kind of like icing on the cake, but ultimately it's just icing. Help me to seek that which is eternal, an unending bliss, cause something to happen in our hearts that only you can cause, that suddenly we would drop to our knees and say, God, you know what? I know I should seek you, but I just don't feel like it. So would you give me the passion for you that I ought to have so that I can live the life that I've been called to live in Christ's name? You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me wanna taste and sing with every single red I break. I will break this all up. You are my wonder you we wonder Today, 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 with Jeff Fines.